M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. I've become the vagina lady. This is M. Salation. I have to say that I have several theories about why this is in some ways the ultimate M. Rossiano piece of entertainment. But continue. <laughs> That's another thing I have in common with Trump. I do love an all-caps text message. That's your dream job. Sit at home with a microphone. Judging hot people. <laughs> You're in Emsolation. Hello. Oh, it's so lovely to be in your ears. It's been a while. I'm sorry. Welcome back. Uh, look, you're going to be disappointed though. We're not officially back. We're not going to be back weekly until May. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we are going to put out a couple specials like this just to keep you going, just to quench your thirst. Uh, We have some massive news for the podcast that you'll know, I would say possibly by the end of next week. And then you'll understand why we can't be back until May. And you'll be very proud of us and we'll have a big party. And yeah, it's huge news. But until then, we will do a couple eps. So just this will be long. It is long. I think it's going to be like an hour. We catch up on everything you ask us to catch up on. So strap in. It is a pop culture slash political slash princess. We cover all the things we love in this one. How have you been? If you're in Melbourne, you've just come out of your snap lockdown. I found it harder than all the other lockdowns. I don't know why it was only five days. My spirits got really low. It's like, oh God, again. And I have a show coming up on March 18th. I am dipping my toe back in the live performing scene. And I want you to know, you know me, I've been really anxious about it and scared. And But the Sydney Maya Music Bowl, and it's the bowl, guys, like it's a big dream, uh, have set it all up so it's COVID safe. And there are, there are tickets left, but they're pods of six. And Michael and I will go into that. But a lot of you have been concerned about these pods of six. But um, it's great. It's good news. It's the way forward. I need you to get on board as you always do. I need you to come along to this show if you're in Melbourne. It's going to be a night of just all of us getting together after such a long time, but also me processing. I've got a few stories about the things that went on in my house, basically, which I'm sure will be very similar to the things that went on in your house during 2020 and the start of 2021. And it is a show, and look, I know we have people listening from all over the world, but it is a show, it's, a, it's my love letter to Victoria, basically. This show won't work anywhere else. It's a one night only, expect, it's spectacular for my fellow Victorians. Tickets are through Ticketek or you can go to mrussiano.com. All the information is there. You can bring your own picnics, your antipasto platters. You can lay down, you can sit down. And the pods, you can have up to six. You don't have to have six people, obviously. But I've been really wanting to talk to you about it on the podcast. And then I didn't know if I'd be able to get one in, but now I can. So the show is full of music. You'll be able to dance. You'll be able to eat salami on bread. <laughs> really, it's all you could want. Uh, there'll be there'll be wine trucks there. It's just um, it's kind of the ultimate night out for our crew because you know you get to sit down with snacks and then you'll be home by like ten o'clock at night. So, Michael and I will talk more about it later though. Uh, and I do feel weird. You know, I feel weird about self promotion, but it's kind of cool that all the creatives that I'm able to hire to get back working on this show. And it's a really scary time if you're in the arts. And I think about all the people who, you know, musicians and comedians that aren't like me. I have other jobs, which is I'm, I'm grateful for, but there are people who this is just their full-time job. So it's been a scary time. So it's kind of cool to be able to get back out there and do it. I'll bring Michael Lucas in. It was Odette's 14th birthday this week and we, poor kid, went to cancel her birthday party. That was a fun conversation. She took it well. So we, um, we did a little 90s goth themed dinner party. That was her choice, of course, because she is the coolest kid ever. So we did that. And a lot of you asked me what I got her for her birthday. 
Our band t-shirts are really in at the moment because the 90s are back. And even though I lived it the first time, my 14 and 19-year-old were telling me, you know, what was the correct way, how to dress 90s and what they did. And I'm like, listen, you two, I was there. I wore the chokers that were so tight they left a mark around my neck. I did that. I I wore those tops. I wore those high-waisted stussy pants that my mum had to save three weeks' wages to buy. Anyway, I got her band t-shirts from Kmart. They were like 10 bucks. How good? Because that's all that's in. And I got her a box full of like makeup-y stuff. You know, she's obsessed with peel-off masks. And I did it I did it all that came out. I did the whole thing because the lockdown got announced and I had three hours to get all her birthday reorganised and presents bought and all done and I did it. Did it all that came out. <laughs> I know. And I went to a crystal shop near where I live. She earth. And I bought a bunch of crystals. Y'all, crystals are expensive. That shit's a racket. Don't put your money in oil or gold. Put it in amethyst. I'm not joking. You'd have to sell a kidney to be able to have a full room full of crystals. So she's got, because you know, Odie's a TikTok witch. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'll stop talking now because I'm about to bring Michael Lucas in for a mammoth catch-up. Enjoy. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. Michael Lucas, welcome back. Amelia Rossiano, thank you. <laughs> now, this is just a little kind of thirst quencher for everyone, as I've explained already. We're not we're not back in earnest until May, but we can't tell people why yet. So, oh really? Yeah, no, nah, oh. we're still kind of silenced on that. But it's a big <laughs> deal, isn't it? It is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> I don't expect that it's like we're getting some sort of five nights a week TV show. It's not that big, but it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Uh, But look, I did put it out on Instagram yesterday. Well, Chella did. Shouldn't take credit for her work. Uh, What people wanted us to talk about. And the number one thing that came back is Bridgerton. So (laughs) this consumed me. All is fair in love and war. Miss Daphne Bridgerton. You have no idea what it is to have one's entire life reduced to a single moment. The time has come for the social season. Tighter! She to breathe, Mama! My name is Lady Whistledown. You do not know me, but I know you. Bridgerton is on Netflix, eight eps, uh, produced by Shonda Rhimes and just Gossip Girl meets, I don't know, like Downton Abbey, mm. I guess is a fair. And already the biggest Netflix drama ever. 83 million. <laughs> no, it's insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously it follows Lady Whistleton, who is the town kind of gossip girl, the Dan Humphreys of of Bridgerton, and she is voiced by Julie Andrews, which I didn't know until I finished watching it. What? <laughs> that blows my mind. It was so distinctive, and you're such an aficionado of, of Sound of Music and everything she's done. I didn't pick it. I didn't pick it was Mary Poppins, and then she even said the word bitch. I was like, oh, my God, how much did they have to pay her to say that? Yeah. But, yes, so she is the town gossip and writes these amazing letters, and it, it follows Daphne. Basically, all we care about is Daphne and the Duke of Hastings, uh, Simon. That's the and hot dude. That's yeah. the hot dude, yeah. And um, Reggie Jean. Reggie Jean, am I saying his name right? Reggie Jean mm-hmm. in real life. I don't know, it's French. Um, he's Hottie McOdison, obviously, and 
everything is kind of inconsequential until they kind of get to an inn. They get to a hotel <laughs> after they're married and it's the hottest sex scene I've ever seen in my life, right? <laughs> and I started watching and I could see that they were having a flirtation. I'm like, oh, how long are they going to make us thirsty women wait mm. to you? And they did. They really made us work for it. But <laughs> by work, few... you mean sit there on the couch just going click, another episode, click, another episode. Pretty that much. was the work. It was the most binge-worthy thing I've watched in a very long time. It was so sumptuous and delicious. And it's obviously there's a few problematic things with Bridgerton because everything is problematic. The main one that I saw launched at it was the, around the class. There was a lot of African-Americans, african UKans, English people, playing aristocrat roles, whereas it was pointed out that in this time they would have actually been slaves. Well, or, or at the very least they, they would have, uh, on all of the high society, made that money off the slave trade at that time. Might yes, have been, Might have correct. been okay to mention that, but it sort of felt like it was in a fantasy world to me in some ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, yes. And um, then the other, so the, the thinly, the storyline behind the Duke is, Look, this is a book series, so this isn't Chonda's doing. He had a terrible father and he vowed on, as his father lay dying that the line of their family would die with him. Uh. So he would never sire a child ever because the ultimate revenge to his dead father was to take the family name down because his dead father took the family name and the legacy very seriously. So hence why he can he pulls out when he has sex with women. He's a... He's, <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I just love a character motivation that so carefully sets up a climactic <laughs> sex scene and also a problematic climactic sex scene. Very problematic. But the, the pulling out, for me, it was like, it was, it was paramount to his character development. Like, did you ever think you'd see pulling out as a major plot line? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that I should be dreaming about it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so um, he basically tells old mate Daphne that, um, look, I just can't have kids. And she assumes it's because he's, um, he's sperm and a good, he's sterile. Mm. Yeah, theatre. And then later finds out that, no, he in fact made a pledge to his dying father that he would kill their line with mm. him. And then it does build to a scene where, because she's never had sex before and no one explained it to her, so she thought men did that because they were in pain. <laughs> she thought the pulling out was just how sex was. <laughs> <laughs> I also really respect when you are making a show and, and, you know, these days you're very conscientious about sex scenes, you really have to explain to the actors why it's an important part of the story and kudos to them. They were able to say this actual ejaculation scene goes back to the core of your character motivation. We absolutely need to see it in a lot of detail. I'm sorry. It's just about the character. It's the backstory. Do you want a backstory? You've got it. You've got it in the sex scene. Well, I have to tell you, that all came down to intimacy coordinator Lizzie Talbot. Who's the star of this show? <laughs> How she got what she got. I mean, she's, a, she's a, I think we can call her the first celebrity intimacy coordinator. <laughs> I want to see a category at the Golden Globes because the remember there was the intimacy, co intimacy coordinator on Ordinary People. Remember yeah. we talked about the intimacy. So this is a real thing, job, that I would like to apply for. Oh, I, we've just, I've just worked with one, Michaela Bennett. Works as an intimacy coordinator. It's really good. What? Yes. 
Well, nowadays it's it's de rigueur. I mean, you've you've kind of got to do it if you're going to do any sex scenes in a television show. And it obviously I've worked on shows that have had not Bridgerton level sex scenes, but quite a few. <laughs> and you know, it was all just fumbled along. And obviously, post Me Too, thank God, everything's changed. And now there's this position, and so you know, conversations are had, and there's an intermediary, and they work it all out. They talk about what they're going to do, and it, and it makes it a lot more comfortable and less stressful. It's a really good development. Well, first question is, I didn't know that job was going and why wasn't I offered it? <laughs> you have to train for it. I would have done it for free. What? What do I have to do, a TAFE course? I know intimacy or lack of. I've been married for 20 years. <laughs> I can say, oh, no, the husband wouldn't touch her hand like that. They hate each other. No, 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 no. It would be fuck you behind his back. Do it again, do it again, but with more contempt in your eyes. The actors would be going to the director saying, the intimacy coordinator has suggested we perform it under a weighted blanket and we just don't understand what she's going for. <laughs> oh, my God, I love it. I could have done that job. But, no, there is one scene that the intimacy coordinator, Lizzie Talbot, did have to really, you know, talk to the actors about, which is the big controversial scene. They're calling it the rape scene in which Daphne is having sex with her husband, the Duke, and she's since found out that he's been pulling out and she's determined to get pregnant because a woman's only function is to sire children in this time. And so she gets on top of him and they're having sex and then he goes to do the usual pull-out trick and she clamps her thighs down and he's unable to pull out and um, (laughs) ejaculates in her. Presumably not so quite uncomfortable at that point. Quite uncomfortable. And so this caused a lot of controversy on Twitter and also... Also, it was controversial when the book came out in 2000, saying this is a rape scene, why was this not, why was there not trigger warnings? And it's it's true, it is. And I guess it hopefully triggered conversations around consent because I think, I think that Simon would have maybe, just before he let go, would have said no. So, yes. There are, does need to be conversations around consent. It's quite a specific situation. Did you know the Wonder Woman at 1984 had a consent issue? Did you know that? No. Because the male lead, the one of the Chris's, Pine, comes back in 1984, oh. but he can only come back if he inherits the body of another man. So he basically, like, body snatches this other man. But when you watch it on screen, you just see Chris Pine, but you know he's wandering around in a 1980s man body. And, like, Gal Gadot just, like, has lots of sex with him constantly. And they're like, well, that man didn't consent to having his body oh be taken. Oh, my God. I mean, I would it's never a bit of a fantastic... That. It's not going to be a real-world problem that anyone's facing. Let's just put it yeah. out there. But nonetheless, it just leaves you with a bit of a... And then there's this weird moment at the end, spoiler alert, where Gal Gadot's sort of wandering on the street and she sees the guy whose body they've taken. He looks at her like, don't I know you from somewhere? And it's a bit weird because it's like, yeah, <gasps> you know oh, me from God. having stolen my body and had wild sex for weeks. That's that's what happened oh. there. That's crazy. That's crazy. I've seen that movie. Mm. No, that's crazy. Uh, so, anyway, Bridgerton, yes, you weren't as enthralled by it as I was. I just want to flat state, I was working, it's really hard for me to invest in TV shows when I'm working on one really hard, and so that might have been it, but I did skip forward and watch the sex scenes because I was here. I watched the first episode and everyone was talking about the sex scenes and I thought, I could just do a little scan, and I did. I you really did. It. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and I, I don't mind the historical inaccuracies. If those historical inaccuracies mean the Dukes in that Regency period have those kind of abs, then yeah. fine. 
I agree. Odie watched, um, was watching Bridgerton with my mum and unfortunately was at their house when episode four came around and none of them really understood what episode four was <laughs> until it started playing. <laughs> Imagine being with your grandparents watching Ep 4, The Inn. I'm hearing this a lot, though, because it landed over summer. A lot of people with families, and there are a lot of, like, multi-generational Bridgerton viewing parties, mm. and it's just, it's fascinating. And because it sort of had a Jane austen vibe, they thought, this is great yeah. for us and the kids, to a point. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now the other thing that we've been watching, obviously, and we were able to access it because we're in the media, is the Britney Spears documentary. Mm-hmm. Not available in Australia yet, but I was able to get my hands on an advanced copy and, and share it with Michael because we have a very important <laughs> podcast, guys. Yeah, and, and also yeah. it's like part of the contract of our friendship, even apart from that. It's a vow. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. We're sitting on something <laughs> like that. It must be shared. I, I, feel, I feel sad for her. Ultimately, I, I feel that she was an articulate, smart, talented young woman who maybe necessarily didn't have the support network around her that she needed and uh, as a result has ended up in this shocking situation. And I I do believe that eventually everything will come to light, but the thing that struck me most was the paparazzi's obsession with her. But then mm. you find out they were getting a million dollars a photo. Yeah. And just the kind of questions she was asked. As well, oh. constantly. It was so gross. She would be, and not not by trash journalists, like by reputable interviewers like Diane Sawyer would ask her these kind of questions where you just couldn't believe that they would ask a young woman, a 20-year-old woman, things like that. She was that. at a press conference, a packed press conference, where a credited journalist asked her if she was a virgin. Yeah. It's so can gross. You, can you imagine? And Dave Letterman, like, oh, like, all of those guys, and Justin Timberlake. <laughs> mm. What did you think about JT's apology? I, I, look, I mean, uh, what else could he do? I mean, I, uh, I mean, it does feel a bit too little, too late, and he had to be pushed into it via just a deluge of. I mean, his career was on the line at the end. I mean, mm. I thought it was fine. I just hope that he's. I mean, I guess I would. That's one thing, but I'd also like if he reached out and helped Britney privately or did whatever he could, did something real behind it rather than just an Instagram post. But, yeah, I mean, it was, in retrospect, I remember that video clip, Crimey River, and, God, that is a full-on thing to do to basically, like, even if there was infidelity in that relationship, to put a target on her like that was kind of crazy. But then there's another part of me that was also like, but he was like pretty much a baby too. And all, all those DJs asking him, did you sleep with her? I mean, obviously it's horrible that he said yes. But then again, I, like if I was his age, oh, in that position, I don't know. What did you think? I was just watching every time. I mean, I've had a problem with Justin Timberlake. Just little things keep coming up that, you know, he was kind of pictured in a compromising position with his co-star when they were not filming and then the subsequent apology to Jessica Biel's wife. And then, I don't know, there's just been a few things where, I don't know, I think a reckoning's coming for Justin Timberlake. <laughs> there's, there's the unicorn of death's first prediction. <laughs> I think oh, there's a bit gosh. of a reckoning coming for Justin Timberlake and a few other people of that ilk, male pop stars that we'll just see. But I don't know. Well, I d- and then there's a the whole issue of he, he built his whole music career and exploded because he was being a white boy. Appropriating doing black, black culture music. and music, yeah. correct. And that just looks awful now. Yeah, yeah correct, all of that. And, yeah. I feel like I hope 
the, her father seems like a purely evil man. I can't say. And it's interesting, they interviewed all the lawyers and nobody, even the person who was on Jamie's legal team, mm. none of them could find anything nice to say about him. One of them even went as far as to say, I will not comment on him because she couldn't mm. find anything nice to say. And Brittany constantly said she didn't want him to be around her. But I just love all the, the her hardcore free Britney fans that are going to the court case and one of them goes in there and has a little Google Doc that she sends the news out to the guys out front of the courtroom and... I just hope when I eventually, when my demise happens, that I have a core group like that who cares about me that much. It's about 20 people who have really spearheaded the Free Britney movement. Oh, they really have. And also how um, now when you reflect back on it, the Leave Britney Alone guy, he was right. He mm. was right. He's been completely vindicated. We should have listened to him. He had compassion. We mm. were the assholes. <laughs> he did not deserve to be laughed at. No. Every word that he said in that, you look back on it now, you go, you were ahead of the curve. You saw it. Chris Crocker, and I still follow him on Facebook. He's, he's like a TikTok guy now. I really like him. <laughs> I love Chris Crocker. No, and the thing that got also the misunderstanding of why she shaved her head and that night that led to, they had the pap- the paparazzi, the guy on who she actually attacked with that green umbrella, mm. the dude's car. They had they was talking to him a lot. And um, they're like, oh, do you ever feel like she just wanted you to leave her alone? And he's like, no, no, like we were, we were friends. And then the reporter goes, but she actually screamed, leave me alone in this film clip here. And he's like, oh, no, that was just on that day. And I was like, no, dude, no. But I understand she shaved her head like she did the full, got a tattoo, was trying to see her kids. I I really understood the mania of being constantly harassed and just finally having access to a golf umbrella and um, the people that you see perceived to have been ruining your life, and I understand attacking them with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. If anything, when you're watching it, it feels like I can't believe it took her that long. I can't believe it didn't happen four years earlier than that. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, you watch this and you just, I don't think I learned anything I didn't know. Did you? No, but there's something about seeing it all laid out bit by bit that made, I think I think what really struck me was how articulate and clear-eyed she was in the early days and, yeah. and how talented and I think the tragedy mm. of that I'd forgotten. And also just looking at it in a way that's like, I wonder if in history we're going to look back and see that period of time when the internet was new, we lost our minds. Like we, we acted like savages We, we until did. we figured out, like, I mean, maybe in another like 15 years we'll be, all of a sudden it'll be like, you know, on the internet, you've kind of got to treat people the way you might in real life. That's what you've got to do. But it's <laughs> going to take us like 30 years to learn that. I know. I know. I, I just, oh God. And even just, you watch the video she's putting out now. Her voice was as deep as mine with a Southern accent. She spoke slowly. But she had a very deep voice when she her speaking voice. Yeah, that's confused me. Like as when she was a little kid, she yeah. had that really strong, deep voice. And a real vibrato. She sang like a choir, like church choir singers. And they've obviously taken her when she recorded the pop music and made her do that kind of that noise. Mm. And then now when she speaks, she's speaking up very high and very fast. And it's just and and it's strange to see, you see what she actually was. Even when she was an American Idol judge, her voice was low and measured and mm. now she has seemed to have reverted back to like this little girl, almost like, like that Michael Jackson thing, you know, the high-pitched voice and the childlike kind of mannerisms. And Paris Hilton did the same thing. She changed her voice yeah. and made it all like whispery and high when it was a much lower. Mm. She makes a brief appearance in the doco and... Um, kind of basically confirms that Britney's being held prisoner. So, look, there's things still rolling through with her conservatorship. They're slowly extracting Jamie Spears out of it. 
Um, but this woman can't even go to the ATM. Like, she's in her late 30s, she's a multi-millionaire and cannot withdraw money from an ATM. And, and it's not like she's saying, I want the conservatorship gone. No. She's accepting of it. She's just like, just not him. Just not my father. That seems pretty reasonable. She can't make it. I know. Well, we'll keep, obviously, I'm obsessed with it. We'll keep following it. All right, rolling through. We've got a whole bunch of things we're just going to do speed round. Okay. Hilaria Baldwin, not Spanish. I just, <laughs> it was it was the trashy celebrity story I needed. And also Amy Schumer had the best response. It was, she was hysterical the whole way through. I genuinely <laughs> think Alec Baldwin had no idea. I think he thought he married a Spanish woman. And I find that deeply hilarious. Really? You don't think he I knew? don't think he, I think, I think it dawned on him after a while. I think that he he <laughs> fell in love with the persona, I think. I, at first, I didn't have a problem with it because I'm like, oh, well, you know, Lindsay Lohan puts on a Russian accent every now and then. <laughs> it's okay. But I didn't realise the, le- the depths of the deception until I saw the cucumber footage where she How says... Say? <laughs> <laughs> you do it, you do it. How do you, do you say? Cucumber? Oh, man. <laughs> we have very few ingredients. We have tomatoes. We have... Um, Cucumber. Cucumbers. We have um, red pepper. It is electrifying because there's a part of me that sort of understands it. The, the tragic 19-year-old that went to the UK for three weeks and came back and attempted to put on a British accent. I get it. But I'm not going to build a career. And I was very young. <laughs> Army Hammer. <gasps> oh. <laughs> I was electrified by this story because you and I, we could pretty much chart our peak obsession and then it's just slowly kind of just petering out into just, we loved him. We were obsessed. We saw him. Well, obviously he's the Winklevoss twins in the Facebook movie, but whatever. Call me by your name. Yeah. His peak of physical beauty, he was gorgeous. He had the best chemistry with Timothy Chalamet, who we still love, who is untarnished pretty much. Yeah. But army, bit by bit by bit, it would get, it would go. So you could see, you you saw the cracks. You would look at his sunny family pictures and, and predicted things were going. I did. And there was a few videos where he was being particularly douchey. He's a proper douchebag, like a proper, dumb, attractive sport jock. He's the guy. You all know the guy. He's totally the the high school douchebag. And truly doesn't know he is, which is no, what makes it no. so electrifying. No, he doesn't. So... The sending, so if you don't know the Army Hammer story, which I'm sure you do, if you listen to this podcast, you will know it because we all love the same things. He was sending questionable DMs to young, attractive Instagram models. In one of them, I think the peak Army Hammer weirdness was asking one of them to remove a rib so he could cook it and eat it. (laughs) And cut off their toe so he could carry it around. Oh, I missed that one. What was that one? Oh, yeah, no, just like, like, it was just sort of an affectionate little, I'd love it if you could cut off, like, I think it was your pinky toe so that I could just carry it in my pocket, have a part of you on me at all times. Casual. Just, I mean, that's reasonable, isn't it? Yeah. What's wrong with that? I also love, my favourite part of the Army Hammer story is how his mum's come out and said, yeah, I always knew he was a freak. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to be yeah. googling that straight away. Yeah, his mum did an interview. He's like, yeah, I always knew he was strange. So, and the ex-wife is going for broke. She just, like, they had to lower the price of their house because apparently coming out as a cannibal isn't great for selling your house. (laughs) Real estate. (laughs) And his management have dumped him. He's been dumped from his latest movie. Like, his career's over. 
What is going on in the universe? It's so PC. You can't ask for someone's toe and rib without being a creep. <laughs> it is truly terrible, though, because it, 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 always the danger is that there'll be some sort of scandal that's so big you'll never be able to buy them as a character because you'll always be sitting there thinking. And it's impossible now with him. In fact, I'm, the sad thing for me is I love Call Me By Your Name. I'm up for a rewatch. But there's so much about that. It's all the eating of the peaches and all that sort of stuff. that yes! I just it's, it's tainted now. He puts Timothy's toes in his mouth. Oh, I know. Uh, in the movie. Like, uh, like it's, yeah. So, Army Hammer will, f- yeah, unfortunately, unless they remake Hannibal, which would be a brilliant <laughs> casting, <laughs> that movie would sell its tits off. If they redid Hannibal with him in the Anthony Hop- Hopkins. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins, yes. Roll. There you go. Army, if you're listening, there's your ticket back in. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Uh, people want us to talk about the riots on Gen 6, the storming of capital, the capital in the States. I don't think there's too much more we can add. I mean, Jamiroquai was forced to come out, JK, and say, that was not me. He actually had to make oh, a video. That's amazing. <laughs> For me, it was amazing because I was working, I was on set and I couldn't really look at my phone. So my, my news correspondent for that day was him. Yes. And it was just it was. getting weirder and weirder. Like it was like crowds are huge. Oh, the shot's fired. Shot's fired in the Capitol building now. And I was like, what? And she was sending the pictures. And every time I go went back to my phone and got it, it was the most extreme update. Yeah, and it was like, they're in Pelosi's desk. They've got their feet on Nancy's desk. Oh, my God. They will not stoop any lower. And I was amazed that you were not able to get across it. Oh, no. Actually, you know, I feel like that was the peak of my life, being your only link to the Capitol. <laughs> To the biggest US political story. It, it is unbelievable. And also when you look at the footage now, actually amazing that, that not more people died and I that know. they didn't get their clutches on anyone because it it was really close and terrifying. I didn't take it very seriously. Or saw it as a bunch of numpties, mm. you know. I, I I was kind of almost laughing at it. I didn't really allow myself to deep dive. And then the show that we watched, The Circus, it comes out every Monday. It's so great on Stan. I do not watch any other political show, US political show. It's not worth it. Mm. When they started covering it and I really watched that episode and I saw how they were screaming, we're going to kill that bitch. They had guns. They had... They had been doing tours the day before to get a lay of the land. I didn't realise. And cable ties to... to, to, Yes. And a noose. They strung a noose up. And then I was like, oh, okay, these guys are actually, they're not a bunch of numpties. They were coordinated and very serious. Mm. So, look, obviously he didn't get impeached again for a second time and that means he's free to run again, which he will absolutely do. So... I expect the campaign to begin in a couple of weeks. I expect there to be four years of him campaigning. And the Republican Party is done. That's, that's it. It's the Trump Party. Oh. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Come on. All right, uh, moving on. It's a sin. Oh. Oh. <laughs> God, my heart. My heart. I don't. It's a sin on Stan set in 19, between 1981 and 1991. Five parts during the AIDS crisis uh, in England this time. Normally they're set in New York. So, where do you see yourself in five years' time? What do you want to be doing? What's the plan? I just want to be happy. I want to learn everything. I'll be stinking rich. He's going to London. 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 
I'm getting out of here. I'll be staying at 23 Piss Off Avenue, London, W fuck. It was... Devastating. Devastating. Also, really beautiful. Like, at the beginning, M kept saying, you've got to watch it, it's going to hit you hard. And the first couple of episodes, I'm like, I'm actually really enjoying this. I did warn you. I warned you. Yeah, it was one of those shows. We both had this experience of when you got to the end of some eps, you would obviously be in tears. But then it was one of those shows that you'd wander around your house a bit and then you'd lie in bed and then you'd just start <laughs> sobbing for no well, not for a very good reason, actually, because you're still psychologically in it. And we were, like, on the at work, you could tell who would watch which episode by the way they looked when they came in in the morning. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, people, people were, I mean, you know, they, it hit hard, harder, obviously, if you, <laughs> for the gays and for the close friends of gays, it was, and particularly yeah. the ones that lived through that time, it hit really hard and, and um, it mm. was so well done. And that lead guy mm. and the girl that plays Jill. Oh, I'm obsessed with the whole cast. I thought the casting was brilliant. I think it was lovingly done, but it was done in a way that I think makes it accessible for everyone to watch and appreciate. I mean, yeah, it wasn't as gritty as it could have been and it was a little bit pop music-y, but I think, oh, God, and it hit in a particular way for us because our mums worked at the AIDS hospital during the crisis and... Your dad was at the forefront of research and I just remember those men vividly. I remember them in the hospice there and I remember mum telling me stories of how they had been abandoned by their families and friends and how their only friends were the nurses at the hospice and I I, I just, yeah, and the way they were treated and how no one cared about the virus because of who it was affecting and... My mum still can't watch it. Has your mum been able to watch it? No, my mum hasn't been able to watch it and I told you your mum shouldn't watch Mm. it. No, I know. I, yeah. My, I think my mum still is a bit sort of PTSD about that whole era. I mean, she was there f- until about 1992, so she saw the big mm. wave of it. And, and it was, yeah, it was the brutality of the death and it was also how alone so many of them were. She still feels really alone. tortured by that. Well, that's what got me watching It's a Sin. And, and I just, oh. Anyway, it's on Stan. Both of us loved it. Marcella can't bring herself to watch episode three, Colin's episode. She's refusing. My daughter I was refusing to watch it. It's so devastating. <laughs> she saw me in the three days in the aftermath after I saw it. Because I watched it in one night. I watched five episodes. That's intense. I, I watched it in about three nights, but um, wow. That's why I was texting you at like 2 a.m. going, you just, when you watch it, just really make sure you're in a safe space. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it was incredible. Um, All right, what else is on my list? Oh, Megan and Harry. Megan Markle is pregnant again. I'm obsessed, obviously. Um, Congratulations, she had a devastating miscarriage and um, has talked about it, which I thought was super brave. And then they've released this lovely photo of them kind of laying down. It's all very nice. And sure enough, she has been attacked for the photo because people are saying, oh, you asked for privacy and now you're like releasing this photo to billions of people. What do you want? And to those people I say, get fucked. Because there is such a thing as wanting to control the publicity that gets out there about you and Mm. not wanting people constantly and relentlessly, hello, Britney Spears, hello, Princess Di, constantly pursuing you for every part of your life. And that's the difference. They are public people. People are interested in them. They have a lot lot to do with charities. It's great for them to have high profiles. It's great for them to make money. Good luck to them. And in that sense, they are allowed to control and release photos and statements in their own time, in their own way, and people are interested. 
that's not being publicity hungry. That's being smart. Mm. So I fully back the way she did it. And anyone criticising her and saying, well, why did you release the photo if you don't want publicity? They didn't want the relentless paparazzi-style publicity. They want the sit-down with Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) And who wouldn't, frankly? How exciting. Now, Oprah's been working for this interview, I would say, three years. Well, she was at the wedding so memorably. But she befriended... Megan's mum That's first. right. Smart, 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 smart. She befriended Megan's mum and that's how she's been able to just get in there, just slide her way in to getting this interview. And everyone wants this interview and I will be watching this interview. I'll be live tweeting this interview. I cannot wait. <sighs> no, I, and also when she interviewed the mum, she didn't, like, oh, shit, no, it was just a private meeting, wasn't it, before the wedding? She never, like did anything with that interview with the mother. That's good. I think mm. every mm. every gay man and a hag knows the power of go through the mother, win them over. That's your <laughs> point. Lay the groundwork. We know it with our own mothers. <laughs> I respect it. I do. So that's. I think we've covered everything. Oh, no. The, you know, I just want to say one thing. Inauguration. Oh, inauguration, Lady Gaga. J-Lo added in. The line, let's get loud into America the Beautiful, and I'm going to unabashedly say, I respect it. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. It's the ultimate diva move. If it'd only be better if it was the national anthem. Imagine. Oh, say can you see? Let's get loud. That's how she did it. She was like, it, it came out of nowhere. I, if you ever sing the national anthem, if you don't begin by saying Australians all let us flap up, I am. I will never speak to you again. It would be amazing. Oh, I have just given flap up to the Australian Cervical Cancer Foundation. So they're going to use it as their little theme song, which is nice. Beautiful. (laughs) So it's getting out there. I can't remember when she did it. I wish you and I were in the same room because we would have just clutched each other. Like it was just the most ridiculous. (laughs) I know. Good on you, JLo. I thought Gaga was magnificent. You couldn't ask for more. All right, everything, the look, the, the weird Hunger Games sort of. Brooch outfit, yeah. The dove, oh. <laughs> the, the, the love story now that's going on between her and the army guy, the Navy. What? There's a whole fan fiction oh, online oh. about those two hooking up. No, they're not actually together. Oh, okay. But all, everyone's thirsty in at home in the States, so they saw that officer take her hand and work it down the steps. Now there's a whole fan fiction about how him and Gaga went on to, like, have, have this steamy romance. <laughs> God, people are really lonely, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. It is fascinating. The The inauguration walk to the mic is something unique to an inauguration and it's really hard to navigate. Like Gaga, like it's, it's, a, it's a fundamentally awkward moment because it's a really long time when you walk to the mic and what do you do? Do you turn around to Kamala? Do you, well, like, and Gaga just sort of did this scared smile. J-Lo was a bit more Las Vegas show busy as she came down, but I, 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 I was riveted. Go back and watch their walks. See how they navigate it. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it was good. It was good. And he's in and we don't need to ever talk about Trump again, but I'm sure we will be. Now, people have been asking you about your TV show. How's it coming along? Yes, we're all but finished, except for three days, um, which we were meant to shoot in Darwin. And we can't shoot in Darwin because of the lockdown and also because Darwin's in mm. nonstop rain. Yes, I'm very excited. Mm. It'll be on in the same. It'll be on mm-hmm. after the Olympics. Well, what if the Olympics doesn't happen? Will they bring it forward? Good question. Don't know. I actually no. I don't think they can because we're we're hustling to get it finished by that time. It's like it finishes <sighs> and it goes to air as soon as possible. But in actual fact, you'll get. I think from like in the middle of the year, I'll have five bedroom season two pretty much go straight into the newsreader on the ABC. So it'll be like <sighs> four months of Michael Lucas entertainment. God, you're just the grand denier of screenwriters, aren't you? Really. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I don't know that that's, with all due respect to Grand Denier, it's not the label I've been craving, the Grand Denier no, screenwriters. But he does, he's involved in a lot of shows. He was, and you are involved in a lot of shows. So Five Bedroom Season 2, when does that come out? Oh, well, I don't know. I do, like, I mean. Oh, you're not allowed to say. Not allowed to say. But I would, I, would, I would say that when the weather starts to turn to sound like Mary Poppins and when we sort of <laughs> got, start to get into sort of MasterChef season, maybe. And then, yeah, that'll play out. And then hopefully newsreader on the back of that after the Olympics, if there's an Olympics. Goodness me. Wow. Okay. We've covered everything you all asked for. We didn't miss a thing. And your show, but I presume you cover that. Oh, uh, I, yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I do. I have a show and I did talk about it a bit at the top. I don't really know. Because obviously we've just come out of this snap lockdown and my heart is scared to invest. Yes in this performance because I don't anything can happen at any time this is the problem and especially for musicians and that's their full-time job I'm lucky I've got other you know revenue streams and other little jobs here and there but there's some people who that's their lifeblood that is their full-time job and the that you don't know you could be stuck in a state with your entire band and having to pay them because it's only fair but how the shows aren't going on and like it's a really scary time to be in the arts. And I feel like people look at us and go, oh, get over yourself, just get a job, get a real job. I feel like people treat creatives like it's their hobby, like it's not a serious thing. Mm. Sometimes I don't feel like there's a lot of sympathy. As opposed to sports people who are apparently essential workers. Exactly. Do you know, I do feel like I get a bit cross about that. I feel like people look at what I do. I think your job's probably taken a bit more seriously and just think, oh, she's just flouncing around on stage and just on the telly every now and then. Like, what do you think I am, a corporate lawyer? Do you think I've got two lives? Like, <laughs> that's my entire job. That's and it takes so what, much work. So much work. So much work. Even the other day I had a little whinge on Instagram about feeling like I'm never going to be able to do a live show the same again. And then all these messages like, oh, you're so privileged, you don't get to complain, da-da-da, you've got other things going on. And I'm like, you don't know my bank account. You don't know that the touring actually is about 80% of my family's income for the year and I've had to scramble madly to replace that. Like I'm just like everyone else. If my job goes, I'm fucked. I think it's going to happen. I'm confident. I bought my pod and it said, well, do you want insurance? And I was like, no. You booked a pod? Yeah, I booked a pod. Michael, I would have given you free tickets. Yeah, but I want the pod experience because it's so you'll never do a show like this again. Thank you for buying the pod. I also don't quite understand it, but I just want to see what what happens when I get there. Well, this has been the problem. So normally when I put shows on sale, all right, I'm talking about it. (laughs) Normally when I put shows on sale, they sell out in about 20 minutes. 
because my crowd get it. They know they're coming for a good night. They know that I put a lot of work in and we've had a good run. And this show went on sale and it about half sold out in about 20 minutes and then it's just kind of been really slowly ticking over now. So we're half full, a bit more. And I initially felt really panicked and I felt let down and I felt like a loser and no one wants to come and see me anymore and my time has passed and all the things. You, you got me, you got, you, you, you spoke to me around that time. <laughs> I, yeah. I wouldn't say it was a high point. Um, <laughs> but you should be yeah. clear that the half that didn't sell was just these pods. It's a confusing. Yeah, so we need to yeah. talk about the pods. So then I kind of dug deeper into it and, and Frontier Touring got some feedback from my audience saying, look, the pods of six is all that's left. So basically to be able to perform live, the, the Sydney Maya Music Bowl normally can host about 50,000 people, but they've had to reduce that capacity down to three to adhere to COVID safety. So they've got these decks, they're pods, they're like, Little, imagine the size of a two kitchen tables put together and they're all kind of safely distanced from each other. It's all been measured out and you buy six tickets and that and it's up to six. You can have like, you can have two in there and be luxurious. So everyone was very confused. How am I going to get six people together? I don't really know six people. It's on a Thursday night. I can't, got the kids, blah, 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 blah. There's all these things working against me. So there's nothing I can do about it is what I'm saying to everyone listening. And if you are a Melbourne emsolator, you can come with four people. You can come with two people. Obviously, the ticket price gets lower the more people you come with. But um, we've formed a Facebook group, which is called the Pod Pals, which has actually been really helpful. So if you've only got two people and you want to find four more people, strangers, which is really exciting, have been forming adult friendships and the only thing they have in common is me. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that's quite a lot. Yeah. Look, it comes you know, you with a whole slew of conversation topics. Yeah. So I guess I just want to reassure anyone who was confused about the decks of six that it's totally cool. You can bring a picnic. Um, there'll be vendors there. There'll be all like food trucks and stuff. You can have spread out. You can use it as a dancing platform. You can lay down it. There's folding chairs, everything. It's kind of like the ultimate setup for our audience. I think so because like imagine an MRC concert where you can bring in the amount of alcohol that you need and oh no you can't bring no, alcohol no, but you can buy it there can't you yeah you buy it there, no yeah buy it but there. you can yeah. yeah i just feel like with the pod situation like normally yeah. it's like you get one plastic cup and you've got to let go in but i feel like you can get your oh, tray, no. you can get it already tray. you can set it all up yep. and yeah yeah and we're opening gates at like 5 30 so you can get in there settle in my dear friend uh, tina del twist wes snelling who he gave me my first ever stand-up spot in my entire career and I've been trying to find a way to kind of repay him. And they said, do you want an opening act? And I never normally have an opening act. But then I thought, yeah, I do. I do have an opening act. And I asked him, and he plays this incredible kind of gin-soaked cabaret queen called Tina Del Twist. And she's phenomenal. So she's opening for me. And inc- like, it's, it's so great. And then I'm coming on. And the show is basically covering off 2020 and up to now. And it is my tip of the hat to... All the people, I was going to say women, but I can't make assumptions, um, that were basically the backbone of their household, that kept everything going. It's just my way of processing all the frustration that I've had. And it's quintessentially Victorian. Like this show would only work on this one night at the Sydney My Music Bowl in Melbourne. It's, it wouldn't work anywhere else around the country mm. because it's all about us. <laughs> I think it's an important Melbourne part is. of everyone's grieving and processing <laughs> experience yeah. to have this, yeah. to set it all. You know. Yeah, yeah. 
So that's all I'll say without sounding desperate. God, that shit probably sailed. But um, trust in the pods. Trust in the process of the pods, guys. This is the way forward. This is the future of live performance. Get on board. Support the arts community. Support my band. Support all the crew, all the staff working on the day. Like my tour manager, he's incredible, Christian. He has done Midnight Oil, Hoodoo Gurus, uh, Mr. Keens, everyone. He's working as an Uber driver at the moment. That's what he's having to do to pay his bills. So he's extremely talented and probably one of the best in the business. So the fact that he was so excited that we could get a show up. So these are the people that we're supporting as well. Oh, God, I'm probably going to edit all that out. <laughs> I knew. I was sitting here the whole time thinking this is so not going to make it in. It's no, so No, no, it'll make it in. Okay. I'm leaving it in. All right. All right, okay. Well, that's it. Um, we'll see everyone sporadically before May. Don't be upset with us. We'll be able to reveal our big news, I think, by the end of next week. Okay. Yeah. So stay tuned. <laughs> we are not having a baby together, just so you know. <laughs> Although if we did, it would be amazing content. It would be amazing, amazing content. Imagine. That would Nor be a whole are we ruling podcast. it out. But no, <laughs> don't rule it out. Although one of my ovaries is in active menopause, so we would, we, we would have to move soon. Quick. Just one. Okay. One sad little ovary. All right, we'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye. This is Emsolation. Okay, my babies, that's it. You'll be hearing from us again in a few weeks. Don't be despondent. Don't be worried. This one was extra long so you could just savour it over the next few weeks. We will be letting you know our very exciting news soon though. We're those people on Facebook, you know, the ones that go, oh my God, something amazing happened today but I can't tell you. And then you're like, then why did you post about it, Sarah? You know, I'm that. I'm Sarah. I, I admit it. I'm so, so sorry. But it's big news. I'm very proud of it. You'll understand why. I cried when it happened because it's honestly what I've been working toward my whole career. So, oh my God, I want the speculation. Can you please send messages on what you think has happened for the podcast? I want the speculation. We'll see you in a few weeks. We'll do these every now and then. Thank you for coming along. I know we've been away for so long. It's going to be worth it. You'll be so sick of us when we relaunch for season two. Have a wonderful day. Uh, Melbourne, you're out of lockdown officially. It's your, it's your second or third day of freedom. It's a beautiful, it's beautiful weather. Enjoy that. And uh, wherever you are, wherever you are, thank you for listening to my best friend and I talk about politics, princesses, and what's the other P? Politics, pop culture. <laughs> Got him. All right. And get tickets to my show. Oh, I feel dirty. I'm leaving it in. Emraciano.com. Bye, guys.